Welcome to the Fascinating Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Kathy Kong. I'm Matt Michelotis. And I'm JR Foresteros. Uh, we're officially on our winter break right now, but we all saw Into the Spider-Verse, uh, excuse me, Spider-Man colon Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and we loved it. And so we wanted to do an episode on it. And one of our recent guests, Jose Humphreys, also is a huge comic book fan. And Jose, actually, after the after our episode, you messaged me and you said you were sad we didn't get to talk more about comics. So we, we had to bring you back on for that reason and because you live in New York. So we assume you see Spider-Man swinging around all the time. So welcome back. <laughs> That's right. Good to be back. Great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Year. Uh, So I'm curious, uh, I'd love to hear from everyone sort of what your history with Spider-Man is and kind of what that set up as expectations for going into this particular movie. Uh, So like, Kathy, I mean, you have like an exhaustive record of all the Spider-Man movies, like you own them all on Blu-ray and watch them every night. Like what's... I believe my husband owns them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably on some oh, very not community uh, property. Yeah, well, you know, they kind of are because they take up a lot of space. His movie collection does because we have, you know, we still have some of the VHS. Yes. We have laser discs. Oh, we yes. have DVDs and now Blu-rays. So like that whole kind of uh, conglomerate collection takes up a lot of space. Um, but I personally don't have a huge comic book uh, comic series history, I've been brought in by marriage and parenting. So my husband is a big nerd and my two sons are big nerds as well. So JR, you, I, I don't know if we were talking about this movie or messaging about it, or maybe I read one of your haikus. And so it came highly recommended. And then my sons were really eager to see it. So I thought, well, family night. Perfect. Jose, what about you? I mean, uh, is Spider-Man one of your comic guys or just in general love of comics or what? Oh, man, I grew up watching Spider-Man and it goes back to it. And I'm kind of dating myself here. I don't know if y'all remember like PBS, uh, third, Channel 13, the Electric, <laughs> yes. the electric Company. Electric yes. Company. And, and there was like this like 30 second Spider-Man segment. And I remember I just be looking forward to that, you know, and it's just uh, some funny skinny guy in a costume coming out. You know, shooting some like uh, I don't know if it was a nylon thread <laughs> in the form of a web, and I just remember that was like the, one of the highlights. And then uh, even going back to uh, the Hanna Barbera uh, version of Spider Man. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I wasn't born quite in the '60s. You know, I'm, I'm a '70s uh, child, uh, but I do remember. You know, the the theme song. Y'all remember it? Maybe yes. Spider Man. Yeah, whatever a spider, spider can <laughs> spins a web. Right, that's right. Yeah, so, that one. Oh man, I, I I would totally vibe off of that. So uh, yeah, so yeah, my my interest and my my love for for Spider Man goes uh, back pretty far. Uh, then I have a pretty big uh, comic book collection, but it's not that recent, you know. But I, I he was one of my favorite and still continues to be one of my favorite characters in in the Marvel universe, you know and you know, he was, was created in 1967, so he, he's been he's been around for a little while. So I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I think out of all of the uh, more recent ones, uh, I, I think you know the, the Tobey Maguire one. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed, it, especially that first one. 
with the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, that, that one is, is a pretty I thought the, the ones that followed came out way too quickly after that for some reason. And they just seemed like just poor reiterations of, of, of the Tommy McGuire ones. Mm-hmm. So what, what were you, was, was Miles Morales specifically on your radar? Like, were you excited for this particular movie or just for another Spider-Man movie in general? Oh no, I was super excited about Miles Morales. That, you know, this, uh, he was, that character was created in 2011. And uh, I just remember seeing the image of him and I was like, oh, snap, a black Spider-Man. Like, that was just off the chain amazing. And uh, I just remember just, you know, Googling it and looking it up. And it turns out that he was not just black, but he was actually, you know, Afro-Latino. Um, mm-hmm. His mom is Puerto Rican and his dad is black. And I said, wow, this, I mean, this is amazing, you know, to, to kind of see of yourself in, 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 in this kind of cartoon iteration where that had been pretty much elusive my whole life. So that was amazing. And yeah, I, get- I, was, I was looking forward to this and, and probably even more for my son, you know, just for him to be able to uh, experience this as well and, and see the glimmer and the excitement in his eyes. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't assume all of our fans uh, are as deep down the nerd hole as some of us. Uh, if you don't know, nerd. Um, yeah, it goes it goes deep, Matt. We're way down it. Oh no, uh, so it's a rabbit hole. It was an Alice in Wonderland reference. Come on, this is a high literary podcast. Um, uh, Miles was created by Brian Michael Bendis, who's a writer, and he was actually created in response to the 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 first reboot. Uh, Jose, that you were talking about, they ultimately ended up casting Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. Uh, there was a big movement online. I remember, I remember, I participated in it that people wanted Donald Glover to play Peter Parker, oh, and, there, yeah. and, and Donald Glover was like, "Yeah, a hundred percent, do it," because you know he's a he's a big nerd also, um, and would love to do it. And shockingly, there were some white people what? that got upset no. that the idea that Spider Man would be black. <gasps> I know it's it's really it's hard not, to imagine it's in 2019. Just, it, but it's just that it doesn't reflect reality, Jr. <laughs> there are no black Spider Men in real life, so he's yeah. white. Uh, so anyway, so Brian Michael Bendis saw all of this pushback that basically saying Spider Man can't be black, and he was like, "Huh, I'm going to make Spider Man black," and so he created Miles Morales as the black, like you said, Afro Latino Spider Man. Uh, and it, I mean, we don't have to get into all, it, it was in a kind of a parallel universe where the, the Peter Parker there, much like what happens in the movie, right? Peter Parker died and, and Miles took over spoiler. and all of that. Uh, yeah. Spoilers for, uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. 2011. um, so anyway, anyway, yeah, Matt, uh, what about you? What's your kind of your history with Spider-Man with the movies with this? Movie? Yeah. So really similar to Jose is actually with the addition of the live action 1970s television show, which I don't know if you guys remember that, (laughs) but it's pretty amazing. (laughs) And one that I am not going to revisit uh, uh, as an adult, because I'm concerned that it won't have the magic that it did when I was, you know, four and five years old. Um, Yeah. So I've been a fan for a long time. Always liked, I think one of the things I always loved about Spider-Man is Peter Parker is the guy who's always trying to do the right thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean his, his personal life is any better. Like his life is always a mess, but he's always trying to help people. And I think that was something that, you know, it resonates in a different way than Superman, who's one of my favorites, right? Who always does the right thing and gets everything because he's amazing and powerful. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot to love about Peter Parker specifically. 
uh, and, and miles. I love miles actually. And I was really excited about going to see this movie. Uh, I, you know, I used to, I don't, Jose doesn't know this and I don't know that Kathy does, you know, I used to work in a comic book shop for several oh, years, yeah, really? three years. Wow. Um, so things like the coming of this new universe that, uh, miles was in, uh, things like this are things that, uh, I, I don't want to say I wasn't working at the shop at the time miles came out, but I, I look back at those things. I, I think of it as something I lived through <laughs> because of the response of fans at different times would come into the shop and you can't do anything. It's not like the internet where you can mute somebody. You have to like sit there and take it. Um, right. Like you're personally responsible. Oh man. For crazy things, just crazy things. People would come in and say, so I get little flashbacks sometimes when I'm seeing people respond to things online or, Oh, this was bad. I was in the, well, we don't need to get too far off on this, but I was in the store the other day and some guy was spouting off to his girlfriend about Miles Morales with clearly like, I know everything, but he didn't know a bunch of stuff and it was making <laughs> me mad. Like the way he was talking about it. I'm like, Oh, do I, should I step in and explain in front of this guy's girlfriend how wrong he is? And I was like, no, walk spider. You wanted to spider-splain to him. I did. I wanted to fix it. But instead, I just assumed that girl's going to figure it out one day. And I, I just left her there. Was, I don't know. It might have been the wrong call. I'm not sure still. No, man. You have great great power with great power. <laughs> right? With great knowledge comes great responsibility. That's right. I'm going to get a new outfit, and I'm going to go and correct people's comic knowledge from now Yeah. Yeah. JR, how about you? Yeah, you know, um, so again, if you're not, if if you you weren't like paying attention to superhero movies, back in the 90s, we had like Spawn and Blade That's right. and the yeah. Batman movie. And that was it. And then Batman and Robin like almost single-handedly killed Superman or superhero movies forever. Like it was so bad that they just didn't make any for a while after that one. And I think Spider-Man was it was either Spider-Man or that first X-Men movie that like made it possible to believe that there would ever be superhero movies again. And and for me, Spider-Man 2 was like it was like I still think it's one of the best superhero movies. The one with Doc Ock where he's on the uh, that train fight was just incredible. I thought it was I, there was a few parts of the movie that I love. But overall, that was it for me. I I thought the the Andrew Garfield remakes were not great. I mean, they're still Spider-Man movies, so I got to see him swinging around, but they weren't really what I wanted. And then, of course, uh, like Sony owns Spider-Man. They bought it from Marvel like way back in the 80s before Marvel ever dreamed they'd make movies. But then they Sony loaned Spider-Man back to Marvel so they could put him in all the Avengers movies. So like that's been great. I like Tom Holland in that role. But Sony hasn't done a great job. Like Spider-Man 3 was pretty awful. The Andrew Garfield movies weren't great. And then they just started making like the Venom movie, which I saw it wasn't mm. very, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't good. It was just kind of a thing that happened. So I was pretty nervous. I said, oh, we're just going to make this animated Spider-Man movie. And it's going to be, I was, I was honestly a little bit irritated that they were finally bringing Miles to the screen, but doing it in an animated movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, but I want, like, I want Miles to have his own. Mo- I like he deserves to be on the big screen, you know. Yeah. Um, and not, and not in a way that it felt like a a step down from the other superhero movies. Like right. I wanted him to get right. his day. Uh, and then, like, when I saw that it wasn't going to be just Miles, it was going to be like a bunch of Spider People. I was like, well, gosh, now it feels even less like a Miles movie and a Spider Pig. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, Porker's right? day in the sun has come. <laughs> um, but but I have to say, like, I real I, I actually went and watched it again last night, just you know for research because I, I really oh. wanted to bring my A game to the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so you know sometimes we got to do things that you know that are hard. But I, I went ahead and went went to it again, and I was really impressed, especially the second time through, how much it still really felt like Miles's movie to me. And this is easily for me the best superhero movie that came out this year. Like in in the year of Infinity War, Aquaman, even Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which I thought was super fun. Like this is head and shoulders above. It, I mean, I think I put it at number four on my top ten movies of the year. Uh, I just I loved this movie from start to finish. I, I it didn't it didn't end up feeling like it slighted miles to me. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I thought I, I thought they were pretty deliberate in um, how they ushered him in. And Mm -hmm. I think that was uh, partly this being strategic, knowing that they'd be like naysayers. You know, you had mentioned earlier how there was some pushback to uh, Spider-Man being black. And I remember the same thing happened with Johnny Storm when Michael uh, Michael B. Jordan plays uh, the Human Torch. Like, we can't have a black Human Torch. Like, you know, does it really matter when he's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, really, you know? Uh, And and there was just a lot of pushback um, there, I remember. And and the movie wasn't great, but... uh, with this movie in particular, with the Spider-Verse, uh, you could see that there was something almost strategic behind it where, uh, you know, Peter Parker did have a uh, main stage for certain portions of it, but you could also see that there was a, a passing of the of the baton and also this kind of symbolic uh, decentering of, of the Peter Parker story, which I thought was great and, and Miles did shine. Yeah, I mean, what Matt, Kathy, what about y'all? What I mean, Kathy, I, I mean, again, I know you have a little bit less of a comics background. Like, how did you feel? A little, a little, yeah, <laughs> a little less. Well, I like, I do appreciate that your entrance into comics is incarnational. Right? I really appreciate that you're trying, you're trying to be with people that you love in the things that they love. That's very, very spiritual of you. Yeah. Um, but I'm just, I'm just curious, like, how did, how did, how did it feel to you? Like, what, what overall, like, what are your thoughts on the movie? Well, you know, again, I, I didn't have huge expectations. One, because I don't feel, I don't have a kind of personal connection to the Spider-Man story or comics in general. One, because in the time and space I grew up, that was, that was definitely a boy thing. And it was definitely a white boy thing where I went to school, mainly because I didn't know any boys of color. There were none (laughs) in elementary school. And, um, and it wasn't something I grew up with, like passed down or connected to my parents too. So like they didn't grow up watching television, that kind of thing. So, um, but I do remember electric company and, you know, snippets of the live action and I know the theme song and that kind of stuff. So, but when I heard that this was an animated movie, I too was like, Ooh, this could be really bad. (laughs) And poorly done. Um, so I didn't know what to expect, except JR, that you loved it. So I was totally relying on. Oh, that's so much pressure. I'm glad you told me that after you saw it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, we also did go see The Favorite. So that's another movie we can talk about later. But oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. So so with Spider-Verse going in, I just, I wasn't sure. And, and my boys weren't sure either for the same reason. Right, because there's something about animation um, 
too much of the CG work Mm. that's taken in a cartoonish sort of way that makes the human connection a little more of a disconnect. Sure. So, um, you know, just like the opening, you kind of go, oh, oh, this is really interesting. And so just even visually, I enjoyed kind of the distinct, the film noir, you know, the, the, the pig, spider pig. <laughs> spider ham. Spider ham, <laughs> spider bacon, spider ribs, you know, all of that. Um, you sound like one of the villains from his world. Yes. Well, you know, I was a little hungry. And then... <laughs> And then even even with the anime, right? So that's also a genre that my my sons have enjoyed as well. So like to see even visually that come on the screen together was so fun. Having seen, you know, enjoyed film noir as the black and white, as a style separate from superhero and comic movies. Um, And then I really enjoyed the development of Miles as uh, a young, as a boy, coming of age, family, who is, he is Afro-Latina, Latino, a brown boy in New York, wrestling with the fact that his father is in law enforcement Mm. and you know, really loving uncle, but really unclear what uncle is doing, right? Things like that. And I just, I really enjoyed that part of a young man's coming of age. I I thought in in particular, and follow up to that, the scene early in the film where he's walking to school and you Mm. see him code switching like every two seconds. Yeah. I thought told me so much about his world and his reality. And then he's assigned to write an essay on great expectations. Right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this, this poor kid lives with so many different kinds of expectations put on him, which I think it in one way is, is a universal adolescent thing. But I, I to me, it seemed magnified by his, by his ethnicity as well. You know, and the way that that all played out. I, I don't know. Did That has really struck me. I think that's one of the things that's genius about Miles. And, and actually the newest, the Tom Holland Spider-Man messes with this some too, is that a lot of the reboots have been pretending that we're, they're updating the cars and the technology, but they're not updating New York. It's mm. like Spider-Man still lives in a white world, which might have been true in the early 1960s. It was like 50 years later, and New York is a really different place. And it, it, I think seeing someone like Miles or even the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the diversity in his high school, is really refreshing because it's relevant to our lives. It's like actually the world we live in and not the 1960s world of, of Marvel at that time. Well, and Jose, you're in New York, so tell us as somebody as a New Yorker, how much of that uh, reality rings true in this, in the spider verse, right? Because how could there possibly be a black Spider-Man because this is real? (laughs) That's right. Uh, 
you know, it in many ways is uh, such a such a, pro a projection of how you know the, the beautiful, the creative, the heroic uh, can be mirrored, uh, you know, by a, a black or brown person, right, mm -hmm. on the screen, and even in cartoon form, right. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it was a it was a cartoon, but it wasn't cartoonish, right? It was right, right. a cartoon, but it wasn't uh, caricature, and that's except for that, you know, Peter Porker, uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> 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 I wasn't quite sure how they were going to get away with it, but I think the brilliance just showed that they they melded the stories and the and the, and the different uh, realities well. Uh, but just to to see that that projection on screen, to see uh, my son, you know, what they mm. consider. Generation Z. <laughs> yes. Just really light up. And uh, the the movie itself just really spoke a real-time kind of language. And, you know, everything from a gentrifying, gentrifying uh, Brooklyn neighborhood. Yeah. You know, if you remember, he's taking the, the, the car ride in his dad's squad car and, and they see the cafe on the corner and, you know, his dad just doesn't get it. Why are all these kids lined up, you know, to get this and uh, you know, you see the, the new development. And then what I really loved about it, and I think, you know, it, it really shows how hip hop has just become uh, so transcendent nowadays is that there were uh, elements of hip hop all over, right? You know, mm -hmm. the first opening scene, he has his headphones on and he's he's listening to both, uh, was it uh, Sunflowers? I think that's the name of the song by Sway Lee and Post Malone. And, and you know, it was something, you know, that any kid, in the South Bronx, in New York City, in Washington Heights, in Brooklyn, you know, could see themselves with these Beats headphones on. And Miles Morales is like the uh, perfect uh, amalgamation of this truth that you could be hood and you could also be a nerd. Where back in my days, you had to make a choice. You can't be no ghetto nerd, right? You know, it's almost like <laughs> right. you, you, you're either one or the other, but you couldn't be both. And uh, I thought that there was just something very uh, beautiful and positive about that image of, of, of blackness and, and brownness where, you know, he, he talked, he, even that, that scene when he comes to, to class late and, you know, the teacher is, is like, Miles, you're late. And he says, well, time is relative. You know, you're, yes, you're, you're, I love that. <laughs> and I said, Man, you know, that, that's what's up. That's what it's about. That's, that's what I love to see that, you know, kid, kids can embrace uh, their, their full humanity in many ways and still, uh, come off as heroic and conflicted and all of that and reluctant and all of that good stuff. So um, I thought in many ways uh, it was uh, true uh, to the to the aesthetic uh, here in New York City. Uh, some of the shifts that we're seeing here in our neighborhoods and uh, yeah, it, it was just really well done. And I definitely put it up there in, in, in the top two uh, Marvel films of, of, of this year. Of last year, I should say. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It'll take some getting used to the whole yeah, the old days thing. back there in 2018. We're gonna have like 18 new superhero movies come out this year. So, oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> but what if they were like half as good, even as this movie? Oh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's just one of those. You know, the timing isn't great. It, it Timing isn't great because I'm quitting my job. So we're like, I'm telling my husband we got to buckle down on the budget. And for him, you know, it's all it, it really is the entertainment budget because he doesn't really have like a makeup budget 
or a hair budget, <laughs> right? But he wants to see all of the movies on the big screen. And so I'm always saying we got to pick and choose which one is the first run movie at the big screen, who gets to go. So this was definitely one of those, you know, the four of us who were home went to go see it. And then the three guys went and saw it again. <laughs> uh, uh, it really, it really was fun on a, on a repeat viewing, just because so many other. I mean, you know all the little reveals. You know that uh, Gwanda is Spider Gwen uh, right when you first see her. You know yeah. that that Liv is Doc Ock in that universe, which was I thought a really fun reveal. Um, what um, can I share the critique that I had? Or are we only yeah. saying no, all sure. things we loved? We're, okay. we're, this is a totally a praise fest. We're not allowed. Okay, I was just checking. Um, I actually, and this is one of the problems of having commodified story, uh, but it bothered me that they brought in all of the multiverse people in, uh, in one sense, not in every sense. Like I was delighted to see Spider-Ham on the big screen. <laughs> I never would have imagined. Um, <laughs> But on the other hand, it felt like they're sticking all these people in here just so they have their spinoffs. And in places in the story, it felt that way. And I think Gwen is a great example of it, where here you have this character who should have really strong connections to Peter Parker, uh, which if, if Kathy, if you don't know this, the uh, in the original comics, she's one of the girlfriends of Peter Parker when he's young. And she oh. dies during a fight with a supervillain, Gwen. Gotcha. And in this other universe, she's dating Peter Parker, and Peter Parker dies, and she becomes the spider hero. Okay. So, But that's completely set aside in the movie. She just says Peter Parker was her friend, and Peter B. Parker, who should be like, oh my gosh, it's Gwen, she's alive, is just like, oh yeah, here's another girl. Huh, whatever. Mm. I'm sad all the time because I'm old and fat. Jerk. And then, <laughs> I know, gosh. He just ignores her. He erases her from his experience. And I think you have this person that's so interesting that should bring some emotional depth and they just sidestep that because they don't rightly want to take away from the movement of Miles's story. But I think it's partly because we have Spider-Noir in here and we have, you know, all, all these other spider characters who really function primarily either for spinoff material or like one or two quick gags. And I just felt like we could have had the same movie with just slightly more attention given to all these side characters, uh, if they had called it a little bit. Who, like Spider Noir literally only is there for like three jokes about seeing in black and white. Right. He doesn't do anything else. I mean, he's, he's Nick Cage. I guess that's another Yay. reason he shouldn't that, be in the movie. I don't that know. Rubik's Cube gag that was, was funny. Yeah, it is funny. That's, that, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. He, he literally is there for laughs, which isn't necessarily bad. I just felt like it, it was a lost opportunity on the story, and I felt like it distracted from Miles at the end of the day, too. And I think with, you know, part of the, the genre of uh, what is the animated movies is that uh, they, the producers know that there is going to be multi-generational audiences. And so I do feel like some of those jokes and references are stuck in there for the older parents or even grandparents who are going to see the movie. Sure. Um, sure. So that they walk away feeling like, oh, ha, 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 that was a fun way to spend $15. <laughs> 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 Each ticket. 
back in my day, you know, that kind of thing. You should, you should go on, um, you know, when it's cheaper. Oh, yeah. Tuesdays, $5 tickets. Yeah. When everyone's free. <laughs> yeah, you just got to open that back door. It says exit on it. You just open it and let everybody in. Right. So, so one of the things I, I think I really appreciated about all the different spider people was, again, it wasn't just like seven different versions of Peter Parker. It was, we had a female spider person. We had an animal spider person. We had a black and white. We had an anime. Like, it really did feel like they were like, okay, what are the spider people in our Spider-Verse canon? Which, all again, all of those characters are, were drawn from comics. None of them were created for this movie. So it felt like they were drawing on all of the different kinds of spider people in a way to say, like, what, what Miles says at the end of the movie, like, we can all be Spider-Man. Yeah, that's true. And I, I really, it, for me, it really, really worked. Right. Uh, can we talk about the animation a little bit? Sure. I, I was bowled over by it. I just, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen Wreck-It Ralph 2 yet, but I feel like I know what I'm going to get animation-wise in that movie. And this movie, it felt like it embraced the aesthetic of comic books to the point that even scene transitions looked like page flips sometimes. And you had Miles' thought bubbles yes. and all that kind of, like, it was, was it was amazing. And then again, Kathy, you've already pointed this out, right? Like, the Penny Parker was done in anime animation yeah. style. Yeah. Spider-Ham looked like something straight out of Looney Tunes. Like, they, they that was, so, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, you know, I thought that uh, ending uh, fight scene with between the Kingpin and and Miles Morales uh, was so just colorful and uh, just vibrant. And I, I was just thinking to myself, like, this could actually go really wrong, where you can no longer mm. like kind of distinguish the, uh, the the characters, and you got dimensions just kind of folding on top of each other. But uh, somehow, some way, they were um, able to keep some some of the, the just the, the coherence of the of the fight scene in, in, in the midst of all of that chaos and I, I, I was I was really impressed by it I, I didn't think it was uh, too overwhelming I, I thought it was they did a really good job with the aesthetics with the, with the CGI there and, and it was honestly that fight scene that really underscored for me why this particular movie needed to be animated like we still just don't have the CGI technology you were saying right Kathy like right when you get you get stuff like that at the end of a movie, I even think about not to not to beat a dead horse, but Batman v Superman, like the end of that movie was just a giant CGI mess. And you didn't care about any of it. It looked bad. Like it was just it was the bad end to a bad movie. Even the and, title. I mean, could we just use a little bit of punctuation? Like Spider-Man colon into the Spider-Verse. Why does it have to be Batman v Superman? Colon Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Terrible. But yeah, I mean, Jose, to your point, right? Like, it was so vibrant and colorful and, and just crazy. Like, I re it really felt like universes were sort of spiraling out of control. And I never, at the same time, I never felt like I didn't understand what was happening on the screen. And I was like, yeah, they, couldn't, they could not have done this in a live-action movie. And, and I, it felt, was, I kind of felt the generational difference there, too, watching that scene with my son. Because, my, you know, I'm saying, well, you know, if this was just a little bit more, I'd be overwhelmed by it. By it. And my son, you know, right next to me is saying, hey, uh, dad, do we need three, 3D glasses for this scene? And then I'm like, <laughs> you really want to intensify <laughs> the scene right now? It's like, 
<laughs> I can't imagine it, you know. Matt or Kathy, did either of you see it in 3D? I did not. No. No, we didn't. We didn't. There were places where the double images did make it feel like watching it in 2D was meant to be in 3D. That's right. Yeah. I've and heard there it's were a couple, in 3D. Well, and I, I, there were a couple of scenes where Peter leaned over and was like, is this a 3D mm-hmm. movie? Did we miss getting the glasses? And I was like, old man, no. <laughs> that's, that's another $2 per ticket. <laughs> that's an animation thing going on here. And he's like, oh, that's weird. Like, okay, I do think you need new glasses. But it didn't phase the boys at all. Um, yeah, it never felt unintentional. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I never would have imagined you can make Prowler seem scary. Like he always seemed like a third string villain to me, but he was, he was terrifying in the movie. That's right. I think so. This struck me. And I just want to float this out. This is an, this is a raw unrefined idea. So it might be bad. Um, But I was struck yesterday as I was watching it again by the difference in Peter and Miles's motivations. Because Peter Parker's, I, that's another thing I loved about the movie, is they're like, all right, let's do this one more time. And then they'd retell an origin story, which is so funny because it's it's sort of like, how many more times do we have to watch Batman's parents die? Like, everyone knows Batman's <laughs> origin story. It's like, how many, how many times do we have to watch Uncle Ben die? Like, we know that that's what motivates Peter Parker. But I was struck yesterday by the fact that, like, for Peter, it is a guilt like mm. I should have saved Uncle Ben and I didn't. Mm. And so I'm motivated by guilt. Um, that's oversimplifying. But Miles in two different places had the opportunity to have that same sort of guilt. And the movie rejected that. Mm. Like with Peter, when Peter dies, uh, Miles could have been like, uh, and I, I, Matt, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't in, in the original comic, doesn't Miles sort of feel like a, I should have stepped up and helped and I didn't. And maybe if I had, he wouldn't have died. Uh, there's a little bit of that, but it's pretty early on and it doesn't right. remain as like a motivating thing for sure. It's not like the uncle Ben thing. Right. But even in this one, like miles does try to help. He does get involved. And so there's not this, like, there's not this onus of like, Oh, I have to make up for a mistake. And then again, when Aaron gets shot and P- and miles says, this is all my fault. Mm-hmm. His uncle says, no, it's not. You're the best of us. Mm. You're going to go on and do better things. And I was struck by how in both cases, Miles' motivation, it like guilt is rejected. And instead, it's it's more about potential than it is shame. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, like I I that I thought that was awesome. Like I love that idea. I like lo- I lo- yeah, I love that it removes the tragic backstory as a necessary motivation for heroism, which goes with the whole idea of like anyone can be a spider person, right? Yeah. You know, we- and, well, and, you know, to, your, yeah. to your point there about uh, you know potential and and responsibility, uh, which which I saw him um, act on in this movie, it's interesting that he does it even without a, a sense of mastery. And what I loved about this movie is that it took him a, a pretty. It, you went to about three quarters of the the movie before he had developed you know, some sort of mastery and I won't even, I wouldn't even call it mastery, just a, a sense of acceptance and, uh, and, um, faith, right. They use that faith, that word faith uh, a couple of times, this, this idea of a leap of faith. Uh, and it was just really good to see the struggle there that, uh, that he had felt a, a sense of, of, 
of ownership of his role, uh, but he also um, went through the motions being mentored by Peter. Uh, it was, uh, uh, it's awesome to see discovery, which is, I, I, that, that's what I love about origin stories, right? It's, it's just that this sense of, of awe and wonder and discovery, and, and you could see that it was like just really written really well in, into the, that script. The moment that took my breath away in the movie was when he finally does his leap of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, he and, and you, you have those two those two scenes where he, he goes up on top of the big building and it's a big dramatic <laughs> music and then he walks back down the stairs and then he goes up at a little building and then he trips over his shoelace and falls. And then at the end of the movie, like you're saying, when he finally embraces, you know, and he's able to shock the webs off and he gets out, he goes up on the top of that super tall building. And then when he jumps, the whole quote unquote camera spins upside down. And instead of him falling, he's like flying up into the city like and i mean that i've i saw that still online before i went and saw the movie and it still didn't matter like i was just awestruck it was such a beautiful composition in that moment of miles like flying upwards into his destiny uh if i'm not mistaken did he have a hoodie on in that scene yeah (laughs) so i i that that snapshot right there i was just thinking about you know just you know kids from the hood once again, just seeing something beautiful, graceful, uh, elements of hip hop culture. Uh, and, you know, here he is, uh, you know, in the midst of the skyscrapers in the background. And they just captured that scene uh, really beautifully. And it was, in many ways, a very spiritual thing because it was predicated on that, on that idea of the, the leap of faith, right? You, you don't know how you're going to do it, but it'll click and when when you finally uh, leap forward or leap out, or in his case, leap off a sky, skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, the fact that he spray painted his own costume, like I loved that, because I kept wondering, like, how is he going to get his costume? Like, they haven't shown him. Right. Making, he just went out and bought, which that Stan Lee cameo, by the way, like got me choked up real yes. hard. Um, but yeah, like he, I, and then when he when he spray painted his own costume, I I thought it was such a cool spin on his suit in the comics, which is the red and black suit, but that it was his own graffiti tag, like take on it. Oh man. Yeah. And I love the, the hoodie too. Um, that very, you know, the urban and Jose, you use the, the ghetto nerd, but also we're not so far removed from Trayvon Martin. Right. And, and what that meant um, in terms of danger and risk, mm. literally for life, being taken in a in animated form, but also very human story, and yeah. and so just visually watching that and the different styles of animation, um, Miles his uh, his origin story also involving these different spider people slash things because they're not all people (laughs) right let's remember not all people um also was a a beautiful poignant and in some ways for me a little bit of a unexpected gut-wrenching moment where i kept thinking but does this happen in real life (laughs) can this kind of uh redemption and community and support and 
multicultural, multiverse experience? Can that really be mm. for someone for whom the narrative is, yeah, probably not. Yeah. So I love the hoodie. I love the tagging, the, the subway. Like that was super fun as somebody who's not a native New Yorker but has smelled enough subways. <laughs> hey, can, I, can I ask you guys a question about uh, the fact that the creators behind this movie, the writers at least of this movie, as well as uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who uh, wrote the original Miles Morales stories, and then Rodney Rotham, Rothman and Phil Lord are all white men. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that, what does that say? Is this encouraging that we have white creators that are representing a more diverse world? Is this showing a place where we need to push in and have more creators of color, both something else? What, what do we, what, what different things can that bring for us? You know, it, it's so interesting that you asked that question. Um, because I intentionally watch movies at times uh, especially when you're depicting people of color, to see and to gauge if if the white gaze is is, is supremely present, right? You know that's a, a term that Toni Morrison used in literature um, when mm-hmm. uh, white authors used to write black characters. Um, and you know, is, is it is it written with the white gaze? And you know, I really thought that the uh, the writers, the directors, did their research. Um, and, and we're very um, just in tune to quite a few of the dynamics. You know, Kathy uh, had mentioned, and that was really astute. Just I, mean, I never didn't even see that, the, the Trayvon Martin thing. Uh, but there was also, if you think about um, uh, fathers of color being present uh, for their sons. And yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That scene when he's leaving the squad car to go to, to his first day of school. And, <laughs> Day, I, I love loved you, it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, that, 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 that's actually a, a really good representation of uh, the black family, you know, because the, the research does show that black fathers are present where, you know, in our society, we often go back to the, uh, the malady, the so-called malady of the absence of, of black fathers, but statistically mm-hmm. that's not even true. So, mm-hmm. uh, so being able to, paint um, so, so many elements of uh, New York City culture, inner city culture in a positive light, you know, from father-son relationship to even the, the elements of hip hop, once again, where at first his, his father had a conflicted relationship with him being a, a graffiti artist, right? Because graffiti's, uh, graffiti has been equated with vandalism. Uh, while people in the hood are looking at it as, hey, this is a hood hieroglyphic, man, you know? Mm-hmm. This is, mm-hmm. this is how uh, we raise our voice. Uh, and this is how we also develop uh, a sense of communal memory. Uh, so in gentrifying neighborhoods, we can look to murals as uh, history pieces and, and also, or even real-time pieces about community pain. Uh, if, you, if you notice, he wrote the essay on Great Expectations, right? Uh, but the uh, mural uh, itself, and I had some trouble seeing this, and I looked it up, it said, the mural that he created with, uh, in, in the Brooklyn subway uh, with his uncle present, uh, the, 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 the mural read, no expectations. Yeah. And, you know, here's the tension, right, that, right. that we see 
uh, you know, in, in, in often in, in black culture and brown culture, are like low expectations for young men, uh, that, that conflictedness between, um, you know, our, our place in the world and, and how the world sees us, you know, to your point, Kathy, about, you know, walking around with the hood or walking around in our, in our black and brown skin. So I, I, I really felt that though your, your point is real, Matt, um, the, uh, if someone would have told me, oh yeah, by the way, uh, this was written by a couple of black folks, you know what I'm saying? In the same way that Black Panther was, uh, maybe not quite as nuanced as Black Panther, uh, or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, you're dealing more with, with uh, global issues there too and, and, and Pan-African issues. Uh, but I, I really do think that they did a good job. Now, I, I say that um, as, as a person who has not had the, the privilege, like JR, of watching it twice. So <laughs> in, in, in a second viewing, you know, when I do my quote unquote research, <laughs> that, that I might, that I, I might, you know, I might see certain things that are you know, kind of nuanced differently, but that, that's just in the, in the first viewing. Well, and it feels, and it's also different because uh, an animated movie or any movie involves, and particularly animation, right? So there's there are the artists who are creating the work and choosing how to depict these characters. Yeah, and uh, and that gets complicated Maybe when actors it's with people of color, right? Right, and then that translation can get complicated when it's live action and real people in which storylines can be and often are whitewashed because visually it cannot be imagined any other way, right? And so I think that that allows um, a way in which, uh, Jose, I think you put it, it it's, it's animated, it's not a caricature, mm. right? It's a comic, it's not a caricature. And, um, and so the, the voice actors brought that in a way that wasn't a caricature. And I think creatively artists, the music allowed for that to happen that can make up for <laughs> something that may have been missed in the original script. Whereas I think there is a lot of room, similarly, if you were to bring live actors to play themselves on the big screen. That's good. Uh, so they've already announced a couple of sequels for this movie. Shocking. Of course they have. <laughs> well, they'd, they'd be fools not to. It was great. Right. And, uh, <laughs> one of them is going to be a direct sequel that features a Miles Gwen budding romance. Ooh, la la. The other one is going to be a Gwen Stacy led all female Spider Woman movie that is going to introduce spider woman and a korean american spider named silk yes cindy moon so i'm curious uh what are your all's hopes expectations for these i like to set the bar low so that every can everything can exceed my expectations you know it's just hard because quite honestly i whether it's animated or not, right? Live or animated, I there just have been so few examples of Asian American women on mm -hmm. the screen. 
that for it to be very specifically Korean American, like I just I don't even know. I, well, that's who she is in the comics, right? Like, right, there's no right. telling what they're going to do. Exactly, which is why you set the bar low. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can say, I'll say too, I read a good bit of Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man, which is where he created the character Cindy Moon and introduced her. And I don't, like, I don't recall other than being told that she was Korean-American mm-hmm. that, like, it was evident in any way that she was Korean American, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So again, um, setting the bar low, <laughs> right? Because she could become white, right? If there, if there's, if there's no recognition of some distinction in the code switching or family and uh, culture, the world around her character, then then Cindy Moon just becomes, oh, I thought that was an Asian last name, but it turns out she's blonde. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like Stan Lee, right? I mean, come on, Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, so this is where I, this is where I guess we're different, Kathy. Like I am the eternal optimist. Um, I even hoped, I even hoped Batman v Superman might not be a dumpster fire. And I was crushed. Um, wow, that must have been harsh. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take very long into the movie for me to be like, well, this isn't going the way I hoped. <laughs> um, but I, I was really impressed with how um, how much they leaned into Miles's ethnicity in Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it gives me hope that, that they're doing this really, really intentionally. Um, I mean, there there are enough female spider people in Marvel's spider universe that they don't have to bring in Cindy Moon. So my there's a, there's a hope for me that this is really an intentional continuing broadening of the representation on the screen mm-hmm. by Sony. Um, and again, not just her. I, I mean, not just her. I, I think I, I'm excited. If if the next if the next two movies are half as good as Spider Verse, I think we're in for a treat, uh, and I, I hope they continue to be really audacious with the animation. Uh, I hope they don't just say like, "Well, we figured out a new formula, let's do it." You know, right, right. You know, this, what about you? this is the hope is that it can become a, a great conversation piece to the point of, of you know even just this part of the conversation. Uh, for example, when I watch a movie or, or I read a comic book with what is the one of the new hulks is amadeus cho and yeah. you know i i hear myself asking uh you know what if i i got into dialogue with just you know one of my asian friends about this one of my korean friends about this is i'm curious uh, yeah. about the the depiction even before i go about saying hey you gotta see this oh man they they portray this character so well um i i think the opportunities that uh, bringing more diversity into the Spider-Verse, more diversity into, you know, just uh, superhero Landia, uh, I think what it does is it uh, allows us to really just become learners and and ask the question, did they get it? Uh, did they hit the nuance? Or is that more of a, you know, with, is it too Pan-Asian? Is it maybe, or is it is it Korean? Or is it, and, because those are the questions that I, I have, you know, when, I, when I'm sitting in, um, you know, movie theater or reading a comic book or, uh, and, and I, and I think that is a, a healthy curiosity, um, to have, because then it, it avoids, uh, to the point earlier, uh, 
this uh, caricature. Matt, what about you? Anything? Yeah, I, th I think for me, I, it is hard for me to remove the feeling that an animated film is secondary. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's second string. And I really do want to see these people in live action, like these characters. Uh, Cindy Moon actually shows up in Spider-Man Homecoming. She's one of Peter's, uh, you know, classmates. Mm -hmm. So and I think she was actually in Infinity War, too, like on the bus. So like I look at that and I'm like, OK, so they're thinking about it at least. And I, I'm hoping that what this is is like stepping stones where they're going like, OK, let's bring these people into the into the Marvel live action universe. Cause I would love to see that. That's what I would love to see. The well, and if you remember right, uh, yeah. Spider-Man homecoming, Donald Glover's character is, he mentions a nephew that he yeah. has in Brooklyn. That's right. right. That's and Miles's that, uncle right there. Right. So, <sighs> so that you're, you're right. They're laying these, these seeds, but the, the problem goes back to the fact that all of the spider people are owned by Sony. Well, and we don't know the details of that agreement, though, because they're obviously bringing in secondary characters here from the spider universe. Right. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's my thing. Like, well, the other thing, too, and I don't know if this is like asking for too much, but so many times these characters we're bringing in who are diverse in some way or young are just another version of a 1960s or earlier superhero like Amadeus Cho. Great example where it's like, well, now we have uh, an Asian American Hulk, you know, and well, or we had a female Hulk at some point. I, I wish we could make some fresh characters that had their own identity outside of being a copy of these other heroes from the 1960s. And that, I know that's maybe a lot to ask, but it seems like the audience is really, you lay it out there as a Marvel movie and they're going to go to like Ant-Man or something like, okay, <laughs> great. Like we could just invent something then that uh, people would go to and be like, that was amazing. So that's what you're calling for. I mean, that's, I'm not saying what we have is not good. I just want more. That's all. <laughs> awesome. I am a white man. Give me what I want. <laughs> what I have is not enough. I also see an, an Aunt May uh, spinoff as well, man. That that, what? that Aunt May was like badass. She was awesome. She was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I go see an, a, a movie with Aunt May. So, yeah. I, okay. So I'm gonna. I anyone who listens to the show regularly knows I cry pretty easily in films. I teared up like I don't know ten times in this movie, and definitely one one time was when they go to visit Aunt May for the first time. And she's like seeing all of these people that are being brought to her by Peter's legacy. That, oh, that was. And she takes it in good. stride like it's nothing. Not nothing. I mean, there were, I, it, it felt like a, a good tender moment. Oh, and I then meant again, she wasn't like, oh my gosh, what's happening? This is horrible. Right. I might have a heart attack. She was and then like, again, okay, come with me to the shed. When Miles goes back to the shed at the end, and she's just like grinning at him, and she was like, "What took you so long?" Yes, I was like, oh, that's a great oh, scene. Yes. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just loved it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're running out of time. Do y'all have any final thoughts on the movie? Anything we didn't get to talk about, or something that really stuck with you? Favorite moment? Wow, so many. <laughs> <laughs> I I died when they brought the shoulder touch back in his fight with Kingpin at the very that was, end. That was a highlight. 
Because <laughs> Kingpin's like, what is happening? What? Yeah, and I wanted to find out what they actually called it. Because I, I know they called it something. And, and uh, so I geeked out a little his, bit. And it was his the, power? The electric venom blast. Yeah, the venom blast. Yeah. yeah it's just like, wow, that is so cool. Kathy, was there something really I think I would you? have to see it again. Yeah, I think I need to see it again. Peter's going to be, be really upset to hear that. I know, because that would be like a third time he'd have to sacrifice himself. He doesn't have to go. Tell him it's research for the podcast. <laughs> Matt? Uh, you know what scene I really thought was beautifully done was the scene where Miles's dad comes to speak to him at his oh, yes. and he's tied up and he can't speak and his dad's on the other side giving this really emotional like apology wrapped up in like something terrible has happened and I love you and I care about you and his dad you know and Miles clearly wanting to say something uh, but can't and his dad finally going it's okay it's okay you don't have to say anything I just wanted you to hear it I was like, this is really a perfect, I think, perfect metaphor for being a teen. Mm -hmm. like, there are so many moments where teenagers want to be able to respond and parents can just like disconnect in those moments. But I love the example of his dad saying like, I'm going to say what needs to be said and I'm going to tell you honestly what I think and what I feel. And it's okay that you can't say anything back. I just thought it was beautifully done. Yeah, that was great. How about you, Jose? No, I'm going to be unoriginal here. I'm going to jump uh, piggyback on Matt's uh, last uh, scene. Um, there was uh, a moment where they also panned back, if you notice, and you could really see that that wall um, yeah. separating yeah. them. And, you know, the wall all of a sudden became, you know, a metaphor for teenage angst and, and also the fact that uh, he, he was silenced and and literally silenced, right? I think they webbed his mouth or they covered his mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. you know, we, we uh, you know, even thinking back to my own teenage years, right? You know, we, we think about uh, the fact that we lack words or we don't have um, just the articulation to describe our experiences at that age. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I really thought that it, highlighted the, the, the power of love uh, and silence in a way that was transcendent and, and, and even, uh, even to the point of collapsing a wall, right, symbolically there. So that, that really touched my heart. And, and just even as a person of color, once again, it was just such a, uh, uh, a wonderful, positive depiction of, uh, of father-son uh, love. Awesome. I well, uh, that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Jose, before we take off, can you tell folks again where they can connect with you if they want to follow what you're doing online? Oh, sure. Uh, on Twitter at Jose Humphreys, on Instagram at Jose Humphreys and, and Facebook, uh, same thing. So, uh, and I also have a website where uh, you can uh, you know, find some of uh, my uh, speaking engagements and, and book as well at josehumphreys.com. Awesome. We'll link all those in the show notes for the, this episode. Uh, this has been a special extra episode of the Fascinating Podcast. Thanks for listening. And uh, let us know what you thought of the Spider-Verse, what your favorite moments were. Oh, I do want to ask one last question. Sorry. Do you have a favorite Spider character from this particular movie? Spider-Ham. 
What's <laughs> <laughs> not to love about Spider? I, 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 uh, I didn't know again. how they were gonna do that. You know, like you you kind of know, right? Because of <laughs> the cartoons and stuff like that. But you're like, wait, I don't get how that's gonna work in this. And it just it it made me laugh, and I, I love- need to laugh. I love that they didn't try to make it work, which is like basically why it worked. Right, right. Like, it was just there. And, yep. uh, yeah. Yep. Like a dressed up porky pig. <laughs> when he gives him the hammer as he's saying goodbye, he's like, it'll fit in your pocket. That's <laughs> great. That's great. Uh, <laughs> Jose, what about you? Uh, you know, I actually like the. Uh, Livy, Doc Ock. Uh, it was just she, you know, here, you know, highlighting the villain here. But just, uh, yeah, she was powerful, man. She was kicking butt, and uh, yeah, that was a, a real character highlight for me. Matt, yeah, I have a lot of affection for all of the Spider People, except for Spider Noir, who I don't care about. <laughs> um, it's been hard to pick that up in this episode. I know. I'm glad you it- you know, I'm against people who only see in black and white. That's one of my things. It's more so you hate dogs. That explains so much. I do hate dogs. Oh, man. I'm glad there were no dogs in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I love Miles. I want to see him in more stuff. And I really like Gwen. So I think it's fun that the sequel is going to focus on the two of them. I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's hard for me not to pick Miles. But I actually really liked Penny Parker a lot. She was a fun character. And I... Uh, I noticed the first time through, but again, the second time through, I just, I wished that she had been more present in the film. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, I I, kind of just wanted to spend more time with her. So anyway, all right. Sorry. Sorry. We didn't include that question earlier. Let us know what you thought of the movie. Let us know who your favorite spider character was. And we'll be back in a few weeks with our new season until then. Thanks as always for listening and take care of yourselves out there. Bye.